This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I'm going to take a look at a biblical perspective on your future. (laughs) Uh, And I don't mean your eternal future, I mean your future that's coming up in the next few years. Before I get into that, I'd like to remind you that you can write to me if you have any ideas or thoughts, questions about what I've shared. You can write to me, send an email to ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. I'll be glad to hear from you. And actually, today's talk is in part a result of an email that I received from a listener a few weeks ago. And also recently, I've had other conversations that are on a similar topic. And it all sort of fell together. It's taken me a little while to process it. And actually, as I was putting this together, I kept finding myself thinking, well, by way of introduction, I'll say this. And then by way of introduction, I'll say that. And it turned into just a big, long list of introductions. (laughs) So let me read the email that was sent to me by a listener, and then we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll just go through my notes, and hopefully it'll all fall together. Uh, Again, I'm not quite sure how it's all going to work out today, but we'll see. So the email says, You talk frequently about receiving our lives from God rather than taking our lives. I forget your wording exactly. Can you do a podcast episode elaborating on what you mean by that? Can we set goals? Do we pray for wisdom and then make a decision? Or do we pray and wait until we have a clear answer before doing anything? I'd love to hear your thoughts here. That's a really good question. And this listener is talking about how I often say that Olga and I want to receive the life that God has given us, not choose our lives for ourselves. And I hope I can answer this question and bring some clarity to the way I think about this issue It's really, really important. Let me read again what the uh, listener wrote. You talk frequently about receiving our lives from God rather than taking our lives. Can you do a podcast episode elaborating on what you mean by that? Can we set goals? Do we pray for wisdom and then make a decision? Or do we pray and wait until we have a clear answer before doing anything? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So yeah, here we are. I don't think I'm going to actually answer the question, but you will definitely hear my thoughts about that. I'll tell you why I don't think I'm going to answer this question. So many people walk in different ways with the Lord at different times in their walk as disciples. People go through different stages of understanding and maturity. We need to walk in the light that God is revealing to us as we move through life. And not everyone has the understanding that I have now, and I did not think this way for many years in my walk as a believer. So, as I talk about this topic, let the Lord lead you into the understanding that he wants you to have. I'll tell you where I am, but where I am now is not where I was, and where I am now is probably not where I'm going to be. And I get this understanding of walking in the light from 1 John 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from sin. So here's this image of us walking in the light, just as Jesus is in the light. And when we do that, we have fellowship with one another. I believe that is a spiritual fellowship. And we need to walk in what God is revealing to us. If we're faithful with a little, he'll entrust us with more. 
And of course, everybody grows up. We go from drinking milk, spiritual milk, to eating solid spiritual food. And like I said, where I am now on this issue is uh, quite different from where I was years ago. And I won't be surprised at all if my thinking about it, my experience, my understanding changes as I go through the rest of this life with the Lord. So here's one of my first introductions. (laughs) And I'll start with this because it sort of gets to the root of the question. When I was a young believer, and for me, for those of you who don't know, I was about 26 years old when I really started following the Lord. I had been raised in church, but I was not a follower of Jesus. And so I came to God. He saved me. He gave me a new life. I know that for sure. By experience, I knew that he gave me a new life. But I was young, and I was seeking answers. And God put me in a really nice community of believers there in Atlanta, Georgia. And one of them was a lady who had been writing articles for Christianity Today, which is a national, perhaps international, Christian magazine. And one of her articles was on a Christian fellowship called the Bruderhof, where she went to interview this group of people was up in the Northeast somewhere. She had just come back from doing this interview and was talking to me about her time at the Bruderhof. And the Bruderhof is a very tightly knit Christian community, very, very serious about their walk with the Lord as individuals and also as a community of believers. And so she was in a group setting, interviewing members of the Bruderhof, members of this community. And she was asking them questions. How do you, how do you share meals or do you share meals? How do you, other questions about how they as a community functioned as a church together. As she told me the story, it sort of felt like she was with a group of maybe a hundred people or so. It was a pretty good size group in a large room. And she came to a question and she said, how do you know the will of God? And she said there was complete silence in the room when she asked that question, how do you know the will of God? And she thought that she had said something that offended them because nobody said anything. They had been giving feedback, answering questions. When she asked that question, it was just silent for a long time. And she stammered and said, "Uh, did I say something wrong? Have I offended you? And one of them said, You have asked a holy question, and we do not want to answer too quickly. And when she told me that, it really struck me deep in my spirit. This question, how do we know the will of God, is a holy question. And we don't want to take that too lightly. And I fear that in today's culture, that is often taken too lightly. It's quite easy to say, yeah, this is the will of God or that is, but to really know the will of God is a very holy thing. And down at the root of most of the questions that I have, uh, when I talk to people, most of the topics of conversation, down at the root of almost everything is how do I know the will of God? And that's talk for another several episodes of this podcast, how to know the will of God. But that's down at the root of this. As we talk about our future, what the Lord wants of us, or how do we make a decision, like the listener wrote, do we pray for wisdom and then make a decision, or do we pray and wait until we have a clear answer before doing anything? How do we know the will of God? Can we set goals? Yeah, so down at the root of it is, 
How do I know the will of God? And that is a very, very serious question, and I don't want to go too quickly through this or take it lightly. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share some of the scriptures and some of the events in my life that have helped me come to my understanding where I am now, which is saying that I want to receive the life that God has for me and not choose my life for myself. Now, there is a contrast that's built into that. It's either receiving the life that God gives or choosing my own life for myself. And the reason that I say it in that way is before I moved to Russia, I was very much involved in choosing my own life for myself. Even as a Christian, I was often making decisions, really not based on prayer, but based on my desires or what I thought would be good, or even on unspoken forces like um, a man in my situation in America doing what I'm doing should do these sorts of things. And for those of you who don't know, I was buying and selling old homes, fixing them up. I would keep a house and then rent it out, or I would sell houses and I was very much involved in buying and selling and thinking about my future and storing up for my future, building a life for myself. And then God radically called me to change that way of thinking in my life in particular. Certainly there are believers who are still involved in buying and selling houses, and I might go back to it at some point as well. But he called me to a pretty radical shift uh, when I was about 40 years old, actually. So I'd already been through quite a bit of life. Uh, thinking a certain way, and now I come to where I am now. So I don't think it's really my job to answer all your questions about this topic, but I do want to help you think about how God works in our lives, how he guides us through times of transition, and how we are to move into what God has for us. Ephesians 3.20 has been very important to me in the understanding that I have right now. And in Ephesians 3, we read, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And I say amen to that too, just the way Paul did. So how do I apply that to thinking about my future? Well, it says that God is able to do more than we can ask and more than we can even imagine. And I will say that my life exemplifies that. If you had asked me, my goodness, six months before I first traveled to Russia, you know, give me a, a list of things that you see yourself doing in a few years, Russia would not have been on that list at all. I couldn't even have imagined it. It was nowhere on my radar. I did know some people that had gone to Russia, but I had no desire to go to Russia, uh, no thought that I would live overseas, nothing like that. When I thought about this scripture, it made me process through how people make decisions about their future, and often people have five-year plans or things like that. And often when we think about our future, we'll make a, an imaginary list or we may make an actual list on a piece of paper. I was talking to some students uh, recently. There are a lot of students in our church here. Here in St. Petersburg, they are students from African nations they come up here for a limited amount of time to finish their schooling, and then they return home. And many of them, for a year before they graduate, they're really wondering, what am I going to be doing a year from now? Because they graduate, and they have to leave Russia, and they must return home, but what's there? And so they would naturally, just like many of us, make a list of possibilities. 
I could get a job with this company, I could move to this city, I could do this or that. And there's a list there. And based on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, I have learned when making a list of possible things that could happen in the future, I need to leave a blank spot for the thing that I cannot imagine. And I need to be willing to accept whatever God wants to write into that blank, if he wants to write something into that blank. He can do more than I can imagine. He can do more than you can imagine. And I don't think we, as humans, should limit God by our own imagination, by our own thoughts about our lives. So this is one thing that feeds into my understanding of how I want to receive from God the life that he has for me and not choose a life for myself, not take my own life up into my own hands, but really surrender my life into his. And this image of having a list with a blank spot, just a blank line on my list of possibilities that God himself is certainly welcome to fill in, and I've got to be willing to accept it. Now, right after Paul writes this in Ephesians, God can do more than we ask or imagine, he says that it is according to his power that is at work within us. And I I have to emphasize this. It is the power of God at work within us to do more than we can ask or imagine. He does that. It's his power, but it's not his power outside of us. It is his power at work within us. That's really, really important. I keep returning to that understanding of the new covenant that God promises not only to be with us, he promises to be in us. So whenever thinking through your future, I encourage you, you have options that you can see, but leave a blank spot on your list for the thing that God may do that you can't even imagine. Now, I have mentioned before that I was a God-is-my-co-pilot kind of person for years, meaning that I was driving my own life, and if I needed help, I would ask God to chip in. Now, I don't think that way any longer, and a little later in this talk, I'll discuss why I've made that shift and why I think that all Christians should make that shift, that we're not just living our own lives and asking God to help out from time to time. He really wants us to walk with him and abide in him and live with him. Now, I understand that my life is quite different when compared to the lives of most other people. I often don't know what life will look like after six months. Now, I have a friend in America who's a professor at a university. He's an elder at his church also, and he has lived in the same home for many, many years, raised his children there, and they are now married. He's a steady fellow in the same job, in the same university for many, many years. His calling and his gifting are very different from mine. His life doesn't look as dramatic as mine, but we have the same Lord and the same shepherd, and each of us should be confident that we are in the place that God wants us to be. And I'll talk about that a little bit later once I'm done with these introductory remarks. (laughs) Oh, another thing that's helped me a lot with this is meditations on what it means to be in Christ. And you can read John chapter 15, and there's a lot in there about us being in him. Christ is in the Father. The Father is in him. We are in him. They are in us. A lot of this imagery of being in Christ And I've thought about that a lot. Of course, an image in the scripture is a branch being attached to a vine. 
so that this life flows through the vine. But also another thing that helps me when thinking about how to go through this life is to think about what it means to be in Jesus. It's a little bit hard to contemplate because a branch is attached to a vine, but is the branch actually in the vine? I guess in one sense you could say so. But how can I be in Jesus? I'm Right now I'm sitting in a room. How can I be in Jesus in that similar way? And I liken it to being in an airplane as a metaphor. I think most of my listeners have probably flown in a big airplane before. It's one thing to stand outside of the airplane and look at it and say, oh, that big, amazing piece of metal, that huge machine, I believe it definitely can fly high up in the sky at great speed. But it's a different thing to actually step into the airplane and put your life into the airplane. Because once I board an airplane and the airplane starts taking off, the designers of the airplane, the pilots, the mechanics, all hold, really hold my life in their hands. I put myself into that airplane and I put my life into that airplane. And I think it's a pretty good comparison here to say that I can physically be in an airplane and I can spiritually be in Jesus. That is to say, I should be in Jesus spiritually as I am physically in an airplane, which means I put my entire trust in him. Uh, Where we go, what direction we go, how fast we go, that's really not my decision. If I'm in Jesus, he is the one who's in charge. My life is really in him. Uh, Where I go, what I do, how quickly things change, all of that is up to him. I commit myself fully to Jesus and am in him. That helps me think about this issue of, well, my future, how do I think about my future? What is my responsibility for my future? I just want to be in Jesus. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, and a lot of people think God works this way, he doesn't come to us and say, okay, Mike, here's the plan. I want you to do this and this and this, and then as you move ahead, you're going to arrive at this place. I want you to get to this point, and then when you're all done with that, I'm going to meet you up there, and then we'll talk about the next bit of the plan. That's not the way God works. He talks about us staying attached to him, letting his life flow through us, walking with him as a good shepherd, abiding in him, not just getting marching orders and then doing them and then meeting him later if we succeed in getting where he wants us to be. He wants us with him all the time, walking with him. And not only walking with him, the scriptures say that he will set up his abode in us. He'll set up house inside us. And that's very different from the way a lot of religious people, a lot of Christians for that matter, think of how God interacts with human beings. I talked in a previous podcast about Aquila and Priscilla, and I suggest you go back and listen to that if if you haven't already. I talk about Aquila and Priscilla and Karl Marx, and um, I want to revisit that just a little bit here because they have also helped me understand a lot about how to think about my life and walking into the life that God has for us. In Acts chapter 18, as I've said, we see that Paul leaves Athens and goes to Corinth. 
And while he's there, he meets a Jew named Aquila, and he had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. Now, Aquila and Priscilla are followers of Jesus, and they are Jews, and they had been kicked out of their home in Rome. So they meet with Paul in Corinth. A little bit later in Acts chapter 18, we see that Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. I think it was a year and a half. Then he left, and he went with Aquila and Priscilla, and they went to Ephesus, where Paul left them, and he went on to Syria. And while they were in Ephesus, a Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus, and he was a very smart fellow, and he spoke well, and he was a follower of the way, but he didn't know everything about the Lord. He only knew the baptism of John, so he understood that John had come to prepare the way for Jesus. But he didn't know all of the rest of it, and Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos, invited him over to their house, and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Then we see in Romans, in Romans chapter 16, Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he sends greetings. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me, and not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them, and greet also the church that meets in their house. So now we see that they're in Rome again, and they have a house church. And we also see that they had been very helpful to churches of Gentiles, not just the Jewish believers, but also the Gentile believers. And then still later, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see as Paul is writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, Paul says, greet Priscilla and Aquila for me. And so we see now that Priscilla and Aquila are in Ephesus once again. So that's an encouragement to me, that even if I do miss what God has for me, even if government officials or people in authority over me make bad decisions, uh, if you find yourself living a life that you don't want or don't expect, God can redeem all that. They surely did not choose to be kicked out of their home in Rome. Sometimes those things happen, and yet God is a redeemer, and he doesn't waste anything for the people of God, even in times of suffering and hardship. So the story of Aquila and Priscilla is a comfort to me as I think about moving into life. I'm very aware that government officials may decide they don't want me in Russia. If they do, then I'll go on, but God is going to use me if I'm willing to be used. Now, returning back to this question of how do I think about whether I receive the life that God gives me or do I choose my lives, let me just look at a couple of things that Jesus said. And as I've thought about this, it is getting deeper and deeper into my spirit, um, this understanding. As I've said before, I used to believe that the will of God was like a big room. People told me this, that when we become Christians, we enter into a big room and everything in that room is within the will of God. And we just can't go outside of the room because if we go outside of the room, we're outside of the will of God. But as long as we're inside the room, we can make decisions that won't be offensive or that will be within the will of God. However, Jesus said a few things that really stand out to me. And as I said, I want to be like him, and he sets the example for us. And in John, we see a couple of things that he said. He said, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does the Son also does. That's in John chapter 5. And in John chapter 12, Jesus said, 
I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his commands lead to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So here we see the example. Jesus is telling us everything that he does and everything that he says is only what the Father gives him to do and to say. Now, I'm not there. I don't really know anybody that's there 100%, right? We all miss the mark somehow. But that's where I want to go as I prepare my notes for these podcasts. I'm constantly praying, Lord, do you want me to say this? Is this what you want me to share? How do I say it? When I go into meetings with people, I'm asking the Lord, how do you want me to interact in this meeting? Do you want me to be silent? Do you want me to speak? That's before the meeting. And then when I'm in the middle of the meeting, I'm often saying, Lord, how can I help this person? Or what do you want me to say? Or how shall I listen? What do you have for me? So it's real important, this understanding that ultimately we want to be so unified with the Father by the Holy Spirit that his life is really flowing through us. He's the head. We are not. He makes these decisions, and we as members of his body are in the place that he wants us to be. Which leads me to the next point I want to make, being where God wants us to be. And here I'll tell another one of my introductory stories. (laughs) I thought, well, I could start this talk with this story. So now it's in the middle, but um, when I first was in Russia, maybe, well, it was 20 years ago now. I was helping serve a ministry in summer camps north of St. Petersburg. And we had an old ministry van. It was a Ford Transit van. And we hauled uh, Bibles and different material for the different mission teams that we had in camps around there. And I remember I was unloading this old van. It was parked next to the building where we were staying And I had just picked up uh, a bundle of books or Bibles. I can't remember what it was all wrapped up in there. And as I stood up and turned to walk around the van and carry them inside, I had a revelation, just a moment of clarity. I knew at that moment that I was exactly where God wanted me to be, standing at the tail end of that old van, holding a bundle of books on the green grass next to this white brick wall. I remember it perfectly. I just knew by the Spirit that that was exactly where God wanted me to be at that moment. Now, I went through the summer and returned to the United States and wasn't quite sure what was coming next in my life. So I had been to Russia a couple of times once in the summer. The second trip was longer than the first. Now I'm back in America, and my parents had decided they were going to take a road trip from the southern United States, out to the west, out to the Rocky Mountains. And since I didn't really know what was coming next and had no plans, they invited me to go along with them, and I rode out with them. We got in a car and took a nice long road trip, and it was really nice to have time with my parents. And we ended up in the Rocky Mountains up on a pass, and a pass, for those who don't know, is kind of a lower part of a mountain range where people can cross over this lower part of the mountains and get to the other side of the mountains. And we were on this high pass in the Rocky Mountains, and we were standing up in the middle of the mountains. Beautiful day, beautiful sun-shining day. My mother and my father, myself, standing up there. And I had a feeling that I was not where God wanted me to be. I knew at that moment that I was thousands of miles away from where God wanted me to be. And I hadn't asked him if I should go out 
to the Rocky Mountains with my mom and dad. And when I had that feeling, I mean, my heart sank. I was like, I am so far away from where I should be. And I don't ever want to have this feeling again. I never, ever want to have this feeling again. I always want to be where God wants me to be. So you can understand why that was a formative event or series of events in my life. Now, I do not claim to be perfect, and I don't claim that I've always been 100% of the time exactly where God wanted me to be, but I've never had that feeling since, and I keep holding it up to the Lord. For instance, I travel a lot, and so if I get invited to the UK to speak to Romanian fellowships, uh, the prayer is, God, do you want me to go there? I think I could be useful, but it doesn't matter what I think. God, do you want me there? I don't want to go to the UK. I don't want to go to Romania. I don't want to go to Africa, to Congo or Uganda, if God does not want me there. So that's the way I think about it, being where God wants us to be. Now, this also brings me to something that's been real helpful, and this is the way that the nation of Israel set stones when they had done something really important. And uh, I heard somebody mention this, and then I did a little bit more study of it. Uh, Twice, God parted the waters for the nation of Israel. The first time, as they entered into the desert when they were fleeing the Egyptians, and the second time, as they left the desert and entered into the promised land, he parted the Jordan River. Crossing the Jordan River into the promised land is one time when the nation of Israel set down stones to commemorate what God had done. And as they were leaving the desert, there was a moment when the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water of the Jordan River, and the river stopped flowing, and the nation crossed on dry ground. And I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 4 about this crossing. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, to serve as a sign among you, In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So here we see an example of the nation of Israel being commanded to pick up stones and put them down so that they would be a memorial. If anybody ever asked, What does this mean? You say, this is where the flow of the river stopped so that we could enter into this land. Now, in 1 Samuel, there's something similar that happened, and it's called the Ebenezer. Some of you have probably heard of Ebenezer Baptist Church or churches called Ebenezer. So in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, it says, While Samuel was sacrificing a burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point below Bethkar. 
Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord helped us. Now the word Ebenezer means stone of help. And what Samuel did was he stood up a stone and he said, At this place the Lord helped us. And I have had times in my life where I know that I know that I know that the Lord is guiding my steps. And when I come to those points in my life, I, in my mind, set up a stone, an Ebenezer stone or a stone of memorial that says, at this place, God was with me and I was exactly where he wanted me to be. And that means in my life, I can never go back before that spot in doubt. I know that the Lord was here. And it's a marker that I can lay down. And for me, standing behind that van and unloading Bibles was a marker in my life. This is where the Lord had me. And I'm not going back before that. And any time I think about that place, I can be encouraged that the Lord had helped me, really had helped me. What do these stones mean? They're a memorial for what God has done. They're a sign of God's help. Now, for Jesus, every moment of his life was an Ebenezer moment. He had complete abiding life in the Father. That's my goal. Of course, I'm very far from it. I'm very imperfect. But that's where I want to be, and actually that's where we will be in the life to come when all of the wickedness is driven out of the world and out of ourselves we're just going to be in constant fellowship with the Father. We'll have constant Ebenezer moments. We all have formative experiences and breakthrough insights when the Lord shines more light on our path. So I pray for you. I really do hope that you'll have these Ebenezer moments and ask God to give you more and more and more. There's a couple more things, I think, that I'll share before finishing this up. And many of you, if you know me, have heard me talk about this. In Luke chapter 9, verse 61, a man comes up to Jesus and says to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this is a man who said to Jesus, I'll follow you, but first I need to go back and say goodbye to my family. So really what he's saying is, Lord, I will follow you, but I've got some decisions to make on my own before I submit to your leadership. Saying, I'll follow you, but I've got some things to take care of first. And Jesus says, well, uh, that's not the way it works with me. If you want to be fit for service in the kingdom of God, and it's very important to see that Jesus said that, you just can't put your hand to the plow, say you're going to do something, and then look back. You've got to go forward, always forward. Well, I want to be fit for service in the kingdom. And that means I always want to be moving forward. And when I spoke to the students at church and when I've spoken to mission teams that are finishing up their time in Russia, I tell them, don't ever go back. And I've learned this from personal experience. It is so easy to say, well, I'm going back to America. Or maybe the students, one might say, I'm going back to Zambia. And I'm saying, don't go back. Don't even use that language. God is making you into a new person. He's teaching you good things. And he is preparing hearts where you're going to receive what he's been teaching you. He is 
making you new. And so we don't go back. It's always forward in the kingdom. And this was really driven home to me. <laughs> Listen to that, driven home, because I tended to say early on in my time in Russia, I was going back to America. And I just realized, no, God wants me to move forward into America. Well, I realized that God always wants me going forward. When I'm in America, I shouldn't say I'm going back to Russia. I'm moving forward into Russia. God is teaching you good things, and he will move you into situations where you can share those things with others. And you are to be a blessing to the people that you meet, not just fall back into old ways of thinking and acting. Always move ahead in the kingdom. This also brings me to the thought in John chapter 14. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And then Thomas, of course, he said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered him, I am the way. I'll just stop there. You know the rest of the quote. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What stands out to me here is that Jesus is the way. Jesus does not just know the way to your future. The Bible says that he's prepared good work in advance for you to do because you are his workmanship. Jesus doesn't just know the way to your future. He is the way to your future. Now, that's a mystery. It's true. It's a remarkable thing for a carpenter from Nazareth to say, I am the way. That's a remarkable, amazing thing. The best way for us to be sure that we are in the will of God in the future is to be in the will of God today and every day from now until then. We abide in him. We walk in him. And we are confident that we are abiding in him and walking in him. Jesus doesn't tell us the way to where we're going. He is the way to where we're going. Not only for our eternal life, but also for what comes in the next six months. As a matter of fact, James says very much the same thing in James chapter 4. James says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do, and he doesn't do it, sins. Now, that last sentence is probably pretty familiar. If you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, then that's a sin. But it's in the context of planning our own lives, thinking about our own future. And James is saying, we don't know what will happen tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. James very rightly says, we're just a mist that appears for a little while and then we're gone. And we should be saying, if it is the Lord's will, then we will live and do this or that. If it is the Lord's will. Ultimately, we need to hold our lives very loosely and trust that God is going to guide us into the things that he has for us. Okay, I promise the last thing that I'll share is the necessity of selflessness. I've said it 
before, I'll say it many, many times, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. So selflessness is absolutely necessary for followers of Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's impossible to be a disciple of Jesus if we don't deny ourselves, if we don't bear a cross, which is a place of death and suffering, and if we don't walk with him, if we don't move through life with Jesus. The surest way to lose all that we desire is to try to save our own life, to take our own lives into our own hands. And the surest way to receive all that is eternal and good is to lose our life for the sake of Christ. Now I'll just return to what the listener wrote. And it's kind of a practical question here. Can we set goals? Do we pray for wisdom and then make a decision? Or do we pray and wait until we have a clear answer before doing anything? Boy, those are really, really important questions. And as I started, down at the root of it is, how do we know the will of God? And I hesitate to answer those questions because I really want you to pray and let the Lord answer you directly. It's quite easy for somebody to say, well, Mike said this, but he doesn't know my whole situation. Ask God to speak to you through the Holy Spirit and answer these questions. Can you set goals? Do we pray for wisdom and then make a decision? Or do we pray and wait until we have a clear answer before doing anything? You know, my life is the way it is because God has led me to this point. And I pray that he'll continue to lead you to the point that he really wants you to be in. And the fact that this listener is asking these questions is wonderful. It's a seeking out of a deeper thing or a better understanding of what it is to be a believer in this world. So I hesitate to answer directly, though I have shared with you some of the thoughts and some of the things that have helped me in my understanding, and now where I am, that Olga and I want to receive the life that God gives us. We want to hold our lives so loosely with open hands and keep a blank line for the thing that we cannot imagine and we want to receive the life that God gives us. We don't want to just be choosing our own lives for ourselves. Now, that may look very different in different people's lives, and God may work in many different ways. Well, he surely will. Remember, we are told of the manifold grace of God. God's grace is like a diamond. And you know the shiny diamonds, the ones that sparkle, are the ones that have many different faces and the light reflects and is amplified within the diamond. And this manifold grace of God, manifold means multifaceted, multi-part grace of God. That grace of God is like a diamond, and there's lots of different faces on that grace and lots of different ways to see into it, many different ways for the beauty of it to come out. So I pray that God will show you that diamond, that beauty of the grace of God, especially as it relates to your future life, your career, how you spend your time, the breaths that you have left on this earth, how they are used wisely and for the kingdom. So I'll close. I honestly will close for now. And I thank you for listening. If you have any questions, again, please feel free to send me a note. I'll be glad to continue this conversation because it is a holy question. 
and we should not take it lightly. Until next time, my friends, I do pray that God will continue to reveal his ways and his word to you because his ways are always good and they always lead to peace for the soul. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all. Thank you.